Welcome, welcome, y'all, to this week's episode of Backstage. I am bringing you Chef Julian Redarte of Beto and Son. And if you live anywhere around the Dallas area, you probably know Beto and Son. It is an absolutely incredible, no, not, not a, the most incredible restaurant of the area, I think, personally, the best Mexican restaurant in all of the United States. And I've got the chef and co-founder here to give us a backstage glimpse into that journey and also into the journey of a chef um, from start to finish. So he goes all the way back to cooking in the kitchen with his dad, being put in the dish pit, I think it's called, and how he worked his way up through culinary school, through being a food scientist, eventually ending up um, creating this incredible restaurant, Bedouin Son, with his own father. And now, I think, it, I forget how long he said it was, but years later, you can't get into this restaurant, y'all, without a without a wait time. I mean, I'm talking like hour and a half wait. So, clearly, they have done an incredible job, not only with the cuisine that they offer, but the environment in which they offer it. They're all about God, food, and family. I think that really translates in this episode. So enjoy this talk with Chef Julian Redarte. And go check out Beto and Son. You will not regret it. Hi, Chef Julian. Hi, Pastor Jamie. <laughs> so good. Thank you for doing this. I'm so stoked. Oh, thank you for having me on. I, uh, I've been looking um, forward to this all week. Oh my goodness, me too. It's I I've wanted to have you on for a while now, I think, right? I think uh we've we've been kind of going back and forth with uh scheduling and stuff and obviously with the holidays yeah. it doesn't make it any easier especially when it comes to, you know, busy restaurants and stuff, so. For sure. Well, I appreciate you doing it because as we'll talk about, you have a restaurant and you're CEO of a lot of different things with wait times that are hours and you still took the time to come on my podcast. Man, I, I wouldn't have missed it. Like I said, I've been looking forward to this for a while and I'm just so glad we finally were able to make a date work. So I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. Well, let's start at the beginning. How do we all know each other? Do you want to tell the story? Yeah. So um, when I was, you know, kind of growing up, uh, Jeff Smith was a, he's a good buddy of mine and he started attending the movement and, you know, met Pastor Dustin. And uh, I also grew up with the Mecklers. We were all kind of like homeschooled together and, you know, they started attending the movement. And uh, I want to say this was about 10 years ago because I was still in, I was still in high school. And um, that's, so that's I know. I know it's crazy. It is crazy to think about. Um, and, and yeah, so that's kind of how it all, how it all started. And then obviously my sister, Daniela, she is the one who really got involved in the church. She's my, my youngest sister. And as she started to kind of get to that, uh, high school age and college age, she really became involved and, uh, did the internship, uh, with you guys and, you know, just absolutely raves about, um, you know, everything that you guys are doing. And obviously I have my, my parents, you know, attend there on Sundays. And so it's, uh, I, I'm happy to say that I was the first. Uh, to to yeah, attend from the family, yeah. Um, but but obviously, my my family has become you know big uh, big active members you know within within the church, and that's kind of how we know each other. That's so fun. A decade long now. That's so wild. <laughs> it's so like fitting too to like start this podcast. And the for the listeners, you'll hear the story of Chef Julian and him and his father started Beto and Son. 
in Dallas, which is like the most, uh, we'll get to it, amazing, the most amazing <laughs> Mexican Thank restaurant. You. But I love that like we have the God and food aspect. Absolutely. No, it's it's the <laughs> most know? important part. It's the most important part, you know? Yes. Like, and just life around the table with people. Food is such a part of culture and family and love. And so you, we always see Jesus eating. Absolutely. We see him <laughs> right? eating and we see him at parties with food too, you know? So clearly, right. clearly food was important to him as well. Food was, yes. And so I'm so excited to hear why food is so important to you and how, how your passion, your and your dad's passion translated into what is now one of the best Mexican restaurants in the country. I think it was actually dubbed that by something. Yeah. Right? Uh, so when we first opened, um, Zagat named it, oh man. I, Zagat, yep. Yeah. It was top, oh shoot. Uh, I, I really need to brush up on my awards. Yeah, you need to. Yeah. Right. So they're not on your, out on your desk right now. I know. Um, (laughs) I I think it was top, it was, it was something less than 20, but it was like top 20 hottest new concepts in the United States. Um, and then obviously with Beto and son, I was able to, uh, get awarded 30 under 30, uh, most innovative chefs in the United States. Um, and then we, USA Today, uh, named us, I think it was top 10, um, Mexican restaurants. Yes. It was either in Dallas or Texas, one of the two. And so, yes, it, it's, uh, we have been very blessed with, with awards as well as, you know, people enjoying our food, uh, the way we, uh, yes. intended them to enjoy it. Which I know you all. And so I know that's what you care about the most. You love people to love your food. Yes. No, and it, it really, it, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's crazy because <laughs> we always talk about Beto and Son. Um, really, you know, it, it opened in 2016, but it actually started way before that when um, me and my dad, you know, just being uh, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm half Mexican my, on my dad's side and then my mom is German Irish. So, but we, we very much have a, a Latin family dynamic in that we love having people over and, and cooking for them and feeding them. And so our entire mm-hmm. lives and, and our family culture has been built around um, having people over to the house to cook and feed. And, um, you know, Beto and Son was God's way of kind of expanding those those uh, boundaries and, and you know, getting a larger group of people in to uh, be able to enjoy our food, you know, throughout the entire city and not just the people that we knew back in McKinney. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, lo- I love that so much. Well, I do want to thank you as well for comping our meal a week and a half ago or so. <laughs> the least I can do. The least I can do. We're just happy to, happy to have you and, and Dustin and, and see the boys. It's always, uh, always a pleasure. <laughs> the boys love Beto and Son. The, and you know, they're the worst critics. They hate, they pretty much want cereal and waffles. And maybe on a good day pizza. But they love your quesadillas. As long as as long as there's something that's that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that they enjoy the quesadillas. Oh yeah, and they don't like them everywhere. Not a fan of torches. Well, hey, then that's that's even more of a <laughs> of a of, a, of um, a reason right there. So that's awesome. But yeah, you guys are so sweet, and we had been in their order to feast after one of the Dream Center events. And um, we left and they were like, well, you guys weren't even there because we were like, is Chef Julian here? Is Beto here? And somehow you still comped our meals. So you guys are so sweet to us. And do you rem- – I don't know if you remember or Daniela for sure would probably, but when I got the first version of COVID – Yes. Back in March of 2020, you guys yeah. like – you sent – what's your water? Uh, essential water. 
essential water. Yeah, you sent like a 12 pack of like the big ones. Yep. And tons of food for the family. So I'm, I'm so grateful for you guys. I love your family. I do remember that because um, I remember Daniela calling and it was kind of, it was, God's timing is perfect. And this is another one of those scenarios when it is. But um, during COVID, uh, we at Beto and Son were doing a lot of uh, just community work because uh, look, obviously, you know, during COVID and shutdowns and all that kind of stuff, the the community was in need. Um, And, you know, we we feel like, you know, God didn't just give us a restaurant to, uh, you know, make money and and cook uh, food for people. He gave us a, he gave us basically means to, you know, and resources to to share with the community. And so uh, we were, we were blessed as we were doing different things for different people. We were uh, basically saying, hey, if you were an industry individual that was laid off and you, you know, don't have money for food, like come to Beto's, we'll feed you. If, you know, we were making food. Mm -hmm for frontline workers at hospitals and, and firefighters around us at different fire stations and the police station. Wow. And uh, people caught on to that. And Essentia Water saw what we were doing on social media and said, hey, we're going to ship you 100 pallets of uh, or 100 cases um, of essential water and, and just you give to those who you feel are in need. And it was right at like at that perfect timing where, and I'm sorry that unfortunately you got COVID. Um, but <laughs> I remember we, we received those pallets and Daniela yeah. said, Oh, you know, pastor Jamie, she's, she's sick with COVID. You know, we need to send, you know, some food and some water to the family. You know, we just got the pallets of Essentia. And so anyways, it's just, you know, God's timing and resources and all that kind of stuff aligning perfectly. Um, but very, very thankful we were able to, you know, contribute in that time. Yeah. You, I love the community focus that y'all have as well in it all. And I remember that during COVID. Yeah. And you guys, did you strangely kind of blow up during COVID? We did. Yeah. I kind of remember this. It was like the opposite story of most. Yes. It, it really was. Um, it, it Mm -hmm. really was, you know, and, and I, Look, a lot of it was God and a lot of it was having just great people around us. Um, I had mm-hmm. just gotten married. Um, and so my wife just – she had this brilliant idea of, you know, when when everyone else is kind of posting on social media saying that, you know, we're struggling, you know, because every, every restaurant was struggling. And they were all posting, you know, their, their struggles yeah. and um, because they were real. Um, but Alexa was like, yeah. you know, I don't want to be just another restaurant posting their struggles. Like there's so many people like struggling more than we are. So like, how can we be the brand that people support because of who we support, uh, because of the reach that we have as a, a successful restaurant to, um, you know, support others, whether it be other, you know, industry related people in the restaurant industry or, or just, you know, those that aren't in our industry that are around our community. And, um, she was a, it was a brilliant, brilliant idea. And so we just, we just went all in on how much could we give, how much could we give away? How much could we support others? Um, in a time that we were also in need, just, you know, having the faith that, Hey, if, if, if we're doing our job and supporting those around us and supporting the flock that God has given us, he will make sure that we have the resources to support ourselves. Um, and so we, we stepped out in faith and man, did he show up big. We ended up needing to double our, our restaurant because, of just yeah. the volume of people that were coming out supporting us saying, we want to make sure that Beto and son makes it through COVID and that Beto and son is around, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to see the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, so we end up doubling our square footage uh, because we needed more space because we, the wait times that were high just kept getting higher and higher. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we, we were, it was unfortunate that the restaurant next door to us closed, but it was very fortunate for us at Beto and Son because we were said, hey, uh, we, we talked to our partner slash landlord, Phil Romano, and he uh, was like, hey, if you need the space because you can't, you know, get enough people in there, like take it. Yeah. 
And it was literally overnight, we were doubling everything we had done before. And so during oh a post COVID world, we're having our best years that we've ever had, you know, well beyond what we could have ever imagined. Oh, isn't that just so God too? You just reap and sow. It's just a principle. And you're definitely sowing because it's like an hour and a half wait list when we go on a Tuesday night. We, we're, we're very blessed in that way that no matter what, what the night is, um, you know, there's, there's people that want to come in and eat Mexican food and eat chips and salsa and drink a, mar- a good margarita. So, um, yes. you know, we're, we're blessed in that way. And get their table side walk. Well, it's so funny. And I was telling Danielle, or actually maybe Dee was, but the, when we went a while ago, we just put our name in and the boys went and played at the park across the, you know, yeah, the art park yep. way, the art park, which you're CEO of as well. And, um, and so we just put our name in, got seated, and we just texted Daniela, and we're like, oh, we're here. She was like, why didn't you text me? I could have gotten you right in the door. <laughs> and so I'm always like, no, no. But Dustin's like, oh, well, we're texting her next time. Absolutely. <laughs> so we were there after the Dream Center like a while ago. I was like, text Daniela. <laughs> We walked right in the door. We always we always want our friends to be able to get right in. I mean, especially, look, you guys oh. live so far away, too, that, I mean, yeah. whenever you guys are in the area, I mean, uh, yeah, we always tell our friends, like, please let us know, you know, we'll get you right in, you know, or, or we'll we'll do our best to kind of mitigate that wait time, you know, because we, we, yeah. we do know that it's 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 a nightly occurrence. So, you know, when yeah. when people come out to support, we want to make sure that we're able to get them in. Oh, well, it's our go to every single Dream Center event. Oh, man, I appreciate it. It means the world. Oh, my goodness. Well, we appreciate the fast uh, <laughs> entry. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get let's get started with the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. What's the origin story? What drew you to what drew you to cooking? What drew you to being a chef? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it really, I think the origin story, um, you know, as far as w- what drew, what drew me to being a chef really kind of starts with my dad. Um, he okay. grew up in Durango, Mexico, which is a Northern state in Mexico. And he, he grew up, uh, at his grandmother's, uh, you know, kind of feet, just watching her cook. Um, he grew up on a farm, um, with it's crazy. Actually, there was no running water, no electricity. Um, it was just a a little farm where they herded goats and, uh, and, you know, grew vegetables like onions and, and peppers and, uh, and, you know, just was fascinated by what she could do with, with what she had on that farm and how she could turn those, you know, those incredible ingredients into, uh, you know, just delectable dishes, right. Um, that, that farm to table lifestyle before it was a trend here in the United States. And so that is, um, that is what inspired him. And, and likewise, maybe it's in my DNA or in my blood. I, I don't know, but I, I grew up, um, you know, wanting to be in the kitchen with him. And, uh, that was the way that we bonded. That was the way that we spent time together. It was, it was a lot less about me wanting to cook, um, and me yeah. wanting to, you know, be involved in, in the cooking practice. And it just really, I just wanted to be with my dad. It just so happens that he was cooking and that was how I got to spend time with him. Um, and so whether it was him, me telling me, telling him, Hey, you know, can you teach me how to cut an onion so I can help you cut onions next time? Or, um, you know, tell me, you know, how, how you want me to season this or throw it on the mm-hmm. grill? You know, I, I may not be able to do it all, but you know, how can I contribute, you know, in the kitchen and just helping you and, be your little sous chef, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it, it really, it, it started there. That's where I think my culinary journey began was being a very, very young 
um, you know, kid just wanting to spend time with my dad and also selfishly get the first bite of every meal um, as, a, as being a, a always hungry growing boy. Um, but that's, that's the origin story of, of my, I guess, culinary career is, is spending time with him in there and just watching for years, everything he did, um, asking him a million questions like all kids do. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, realizing that it was something that I was very familiar with and something that I enjoyed. And so I, when I turned 14, my dad had a little taqueria in McKinney and he, um, you know, said, Hey, uh, I, I told him, I said, Hey, I want to be a chef thinking at 14 that it just worked that way. You, you tell a chef you want to be a chef, they call you a chef and you're good. Uh, that's not how it works at all. But you know, my little 14 year old mind thought that's how it worked. And my dad just kind of laughed and he said, Hey, you know, um, I work hard in restaurants, so you don't have to, you know, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, go, go do something with your life. You know, like yeah, I just, I wouldn't take no for an answer. I was like, no, dad, I want to be like you want to be a chef. Um, and so he was like, all right, well, here's an apron dish pits that way. And that's kind of how it <laughs> he all sent you started. to the kitchen. Yeah. He sent me to the dish pit. Um, <laughs> the, oh, it's the dish of, pit. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah. To wash dishes. So I, I washed dishes for the night and you know, he was, he was also like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show him. He's definitely not going to want to do this long term. So, you know, he made it hard. He was sending me all these dishes to wash floors to clean, you know, all the, all the grunt work. Uh-huh. And at the end of the night, you know, he was like, so, you know, what do you think? You still want to be in restaurants? I was like, Oh God, I love it. Can I come back tomorrow? Oh, he was you like, loved oh it. what have I done? <laughs> I loved oh. it. I loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, yeah, because there was so much, it, it was it, it, the camaraderie, you know, when you're in a kitchen and when you're in a restaurant, there's so much going on. Um, you know, I always attribute it to a, uh, like a going to the symphony, um, or, you know, seeing an orchestra play, uh, when you think about restaurants and we kind of, you know, got into this a little bit, what you, you go to the, you, you touch so many different people before your, your dinner is, is through before your dining experience is through. Yes, It starts with the host stand, right. And that communication yep. of, is there a wait? And if there's a wait, how mu- how long is the wait? And is that an accurate wait time? And, um, you know, and what that is experiences is like, and then after, after that you get sat and, you know, the, the, the server comes to the table and then kind of walks you through that experience. And then, you know, they, they, they communicate the food and the concept and, you know, there's all these different pieces The the food has to be cooked correctly to the right temperature, um, done at the same time as every other dish that's going to that table. Um, and so there's so many different facets of the industry and, right. and of the restaurant that has to be done perfectly well, perfectly timed. Um, you know, if, if, if I had to, you know, kind of relate it even more, it's like the, the kitchen is the, the heart of the, the percussion and the orchestra, the, the bartenders are the brass and the servers are the strings. And, um, you know, everybody has their, their piece. And to yep. me, the chef was always the conductor who was making sure that everything happened at the right time. Okay. On the right note. Yes. Um, you know, everything had to be in the same, uh, key and, and, and the harmonies and the melodies, like everything had to be, you know, going at, at the perfect time. And, and when it's going well, you know, you can tell people enjoy it. You look at the dining room and everybody's laughing and, and having a great time. And you can see the, the, the face of, of what delicious food looks like, you know, um, but equi- just on this flip side, if it's not going well, you can definitely see on every diner's face as well. Um, you know, if, if it's off key or off rhythm or it just you doesn't sound right, it's, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's it's just as obvious as when people are enjoying. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and so that's what the I love. Chefs love care about, about that. A hundred percent. I mean, we, we are, 
we are instant gratification people (laughs) at our core. We love cooking for people because it's like, I put a plate in front of you, you either like it or you love it. And we, we live for that, um, that instant gratification of, of being told that something is delicious or, um, yeah, all of that. So yes, a hundred percent, like as chefs, that's, that's what we uh, that's what we dream of is to have a restaurant full of people loving the food, you know, and, and a line out the door. <laughs> and a line out the door, which you've you've succeeded at both. <laughs> that is so cool. So, as a chef, like, do you do the cooking, or do you teach? Do you come up with the dishes? It's it's definitely a combination. When we first okay. opened Beto and Son, um, you know, my dad was in the kitchen, uh, you know, every every day. I would jump on the line depending on if it was a weekend and we, you know, didn't have enough staff. I would jump on a station, whether it be the grill or okay. tacos or saute. Um, so it's it's a combination, and it really the the restaurant will tell you or demand of you uh, what it needs. Um, oh. And so nowadays, when it comes to Beto's, it's it's a well oiled machine that. Uh-huh is staffed and, and, um, you know, the, the crew that we have is, is amazing. A lot of us, a lot of them have been with us from the beginning. Really? And, um, yeah, Aww. yeah. We've been very blessed with an amazing, amazing team. And, and we call it the, the Betos family, um, because, you know, they, they, they're very much adopted family members into not just our lives, but obviously our business and all that kind of stuff. So right. it's, um, it really depends when we, like I said, when we first started, we were very much, my dad was prepping every morning. Um, I was, you know, jumping on whatever station. There was a couple times I would get mm-hmm. back into the dish pit. So thank God How you put me through you? the ringer. Right? How old were uh, you at this point? I, at, I was 23 when we opened Beto. And okay. Son. Okay. Yep. So 23. You, the son is you, just for everybody yes. to know. The son Correct. is you. Beto <laughs> is your dad. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so you start yep. at 23. And so you're just helping. Uh, yeah. Well, kind of. So what I guess I'll kind of start with the story yeah, yeah. Um, of of how it all came about. Yes, so please do. when I was yeah when I was born, um, my dad was working uh, or had created a restaurant called Cozy Mel's with Phil Romano. This was down in San Antonio. Okay, so I was born in San Antonio. Okay, and uh, my parents were actually living in California at the time. And uh, Phil had given my dad a call because he had heard that um, from one of my dad's culinary friends that we went to culinary school with, um, Phil had heard that, you know, he, he needed a Mexican chef and this was the chef he needed to call. So <laughs> Phil calls my dad who's living in California and says, hey, I want to open a Mexican restaurant in San Antonio. Oh, wow. And uh, my dad's like, why would you bring sand to the ocean? You know, like there's so many Mexican <laughs> restaurants. Why, why, huh. why does San Antonio need another one? Right. Um, and he's like, no, he's like, I, I hear, you know, you're, you're a little different. You know, you, you come from Mexico and you mm. have your own, you know, unique twists on Mexican food. And he's like, why don't you just come down and let me kind of show you what I'm doing? Hmm. Well, at the time, Phil had just opened Macaroni Grill. Um, oh, he's the and- Macaroni Grill guy? Yeah, yeah, oh. Romano's macaroni grill. That's still oh. Romano. Oh no way! Oh, I did not yeah. know this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so he I just guess, opened macaroni grill. Yeah, he had just opened macaroni grill, and I guess even a little more backstory. So Phil Romano, he did Rudy's Rudy's barbecue with what? his, Fud Rucker's burgers with his. Uh, yeah, Romano's macaroni grill. I mean, yeah, Phil is a serial restaurateur, <laughs> entrepreneur. Okay. Um, yeah, just knocked it out of the park so many times wow. over and over. And he, he yeah. wanted to now start specializing in Mexican food. Right. With okay. My dad, exactly. Okay. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what I was born into. So, okay. um, Phil, who is my partner, who is also like kind of the creator of, of the Trinity Groves property okay. from the standpoint of creating that 
restaurant right. theme park is what he calls it. Oh, um, that's that such is, a good description. That, it is like a restaurant theme park. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, so so that's you know when I was born in you know he was already partnering kind of with my dad. Now my dad, okay. uh, Cozy Mel's, ended up getting sold to Brinker, who was like the Chili's okay. and um, on the border and uh-huh. Maggiano's. Okay. Um, so they they get sold to Brinker, and my dad ends up going on to Brinker, and Phil ends up going and doing other restaurants. So they okay. kind of part ways. Okay. Um, mutually just saying, yeah. Hey, you know, we, this was great. We did a great job. We yeah. sold it to this huge group that wants to open a hundred of these, right. <laughs> um, you know, great job. And hopefully we see each other again in the future. Um, and so that's kind of how it all, all went down. Well, fast forward, you know, after I'm born 23 years later, Phil Romano is starting Trinity Groves and calls my dad and says, Hey, I hear you Shut have a son who graduated up. culinary school. Shut yeah. Um, I want to do another Mexican restaurant. What? Are you down? <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm working um, for a large soups and sauce manufacturer um, as kind of like a food scientist. We okay. um, we made like Panera bread, broccoli cheddar soup. Oh, or, that's great. Love um, it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, it was basically a, we, we manufactured soups and sauces on like the millions of pound scale like per year. For all these big brands. Okay, I want to stop um, like every every sentence you say because I am okay. First, explains food scientist. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> you know, a chef, you know, is is an individual who right who works in a a restaurant, you know, creating dishes, you know, plate by plate, right? Or and okay. sometimes, you know, on large scale and yep. like you know, big banquets or like in Vegas, the big yep. buffets, right? Yeah. Um, food science is a little trickier because you're creating food in a large factory um, that very much looks like a giant kitchen, gotcha. uh, except instead of a stock pot that's 20 gallons, these stock pots are a thousand gallons. Oh, wow. um, and you have to this basically like create scale? these. Oh, huge. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like, like millions of gallons, millions of pounds oh, wow. um, of production per year uh, in these, in these giant, you know, uh, manufacturing kitchens, if you will. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so rather than just having, you know, five or six cooks in the kitchen, we had over a hundred, um, staff members that were just dedicated to the cooking of these different items, wow. uh, day in and day out. It was a 24 hour, uh, facility seven days a week. Um, and that's all that we did was make all these different soups and sauces. So and chilies, you, queso. you have like creative liberty with things. Uh, I, I worked on a team that okay. we, we all did different but you came creative up with it. kind of, um, I, well, some of the items. Yeah. Like, so team. for example, we did yeah, as a team. Absolutely. Yeah. So like uh, payway comes in and says, Hey, we want to do a new vinaigrette. One of the things that we worked on was a wasabi vinaigrette for one of their new seasonal salads. Oh. And we created it. We sent it to payway. They loved it. And it ends up being a new menu item on, you know, their, their menu throughout the United States. Really? Um, so yeah. So basically our thing was, you know, we created these items that, we would ship to different brands. They could literally open the bag and we make it fresh in our manufacturing facility. Um, but then the whole science part is obviously with all the logistics, we have to be able to freeze it, make sure that there's no microbes or bacteria, right. um, you know, that it's going to be safe when it gets to the place, you know, no right. matter what kind of extreme temperatures it undergoes, hot or cold. Hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the science behind it all, making sure the food that you eat in every, you know, everywhere you go maybe not made in that actual restaurant is safe. Um, right. You know, we made a lot of different things for Walmart as well, as far as food related items. So that's kind of the food science piece to Interesting. it. Interesting. And what, what you said you made a, uh, which queso? Chili's queso? Uh, well, we would, so we didn't obviously create that, but Chili's having the thousands of locations that they have, 
um, you know, they don't make their queso in each and every individual gotcha. restaurant. Okay. They, so, they purchase from okay, us, I'm but we would then ship it throughout the entire United States. Gotcha. Okay. Was The wasabi vinaigrette sounds great, by the way. Yeah, it was one of my favorite. I'm a big wasabi fan. I am that too. Was one of my favorite oh wow, vinaigrettes. I'll have to yeah. get that next time I'm at Payway. I haven't been for a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh I, and yeah, I know, and I, I don't even know if they still have it. This was six. This was six this or seven years ago, okay. so it might have phased off. Okay. I, I couldn't tell you I, if so, it's still there. I actually, I should probably go back and try. It. Um, <laughs> it's like your, it's your work of art. You got to make sure it's still on the. <laughs> on absolutely, the menu. absolutely. Okay, so your your work, you go to culinary school. Which that's mm-hmm. where you learn how uh-huh. to just for the layperson you learn how to cook, right? Correct. Okay. Exactly. exactly. And you learn, learn how learn... to cook, learn how to be a chef and, and run a business. And, okay, and, so you learn you all know, the aspects. Yeah. All the aspects. Okay, all the aspects. and so it's not just one type of cuisine. It's like you learn everything from like sushi everything. to Italian yep. to Mexican. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, so culinary schools cover all of it. Yep. Okay. Uh, all of it. Well, a good culinary school does. Yeah. Um, you know, there there's obviously. A, it's culinary schools are like colleges, right? You know, yep. you've got your, you know, your very small junior colleges, if you will, or community colleges, and then all the way up to the big time universities that actually have four to six year, you know, master's programs. Gotcha. Um, so okay. yeah, the one I went to is called the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, it's one of, one of the, um, original culinary schools. Wow. The original is actually in Hyde Park, New York. Oh. Um, I went to the location in, uh, San Antonio. My okay. dad actually did go to the one in Hyde Park, New York. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's, so I went there and then I, you know, kind of started making my way through the industry, working right. in hotels at like the Ritz Carlton, going and working for Denny's corporate where we developed, you know, the new items for the entire nation. Okay. And then, like I said, going into food science. And then that's when Phil called my okay, dad and yes, said, Hey, okay. um, yeah. So that gets us back. Sorry. I love it. I love it. This is long form. So we have, <laughs> it is, yeah. you probably have things to do. <laughs> I'm, no, no, I'm here no, for no, as no. long as uh, this is so fascinating because so many, everybody goes to restaurants and nobody knows like sometimes what goes on behind the scenes, you know, or back, Absolutely. back of the house as we right. say. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. So, so he, Phil, 23 years later, calls your dad yep. and says, I heard you have a son. Yep. I heard you have a son. I heard he just graduated culinary school. I guess not heard because he knew he had, I had a, he had a, I had a okay. son. He was actually my first birthday party, but oh. he's like, I, I heard, I heard your son just graduated basically. Okay. And, yeah. and, um, and he's like, yeah, you know, he's, he's working in the industry now. And he's like, you know, I want to do another Mexican restaurant. Are you interested? Um, and my dad was like, oh man, I don't, I don't know, you know, restaurants, uh-huh. they're hard work. He was working in kind of corporate America as a corporate chef for, for Chili's. And okay. so, uh, again, kind of going into another facet of the culinary industry is as a corporate chef, he would develop new items for Chili's on a national scale. So, okay. um, if there was a new fajita or a new loaded queso or a new item, he would create the original recipe. Oh. He would then hand it off to the ops team who would go and, and, de- and develop the training pr- uh, procedures throughout okay. um, the United States to roll those new menu items out. Cause obviously with a thousand restaurants, you have to have a pretty big team oh. to roll out any kind of new item <laughs> I can't imagine. that hits a, a right. national menu. Yeah. So he was doing that, which is great because like we were talking about earlier, you know, in restaurants, you're generally working weekends and holidays. Right. Um, you know, in corporate America, it's nine to five, you know, yeah. because at the end of the day, you're not actually in a restaurant. Right. You're developing items for a restaurant. Right. Um, so he was, he was, you know, loving his life doing that because he got to do what he loved, but also have be a family man. Right. Be a dad time. and be a husband. Right. Yes, right. Exactly. And, um, and so, you know, he was like, man, do I really want to commit, you know, to running this beast of an operation that we mm. call restaurant? Um, and so he called me and he just said, Hey, I just want to let you know, uh, Phil called. 
And my ears perked up right away. And I was like, <laughs> Bill, I was like, what'd he say? Oh. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, he, he wants to do a Mexican restaurant. And I was like, and I'm assuming he wants us to do it. And he's like, well, you know, that's what he said. He's like, but man, I don't know, you know, restaurants, they're hard work. You know, he's like, both of us are kind of on the corporate side. You really want to get back into restaurants. I was like, that is, it's not a matter of do I want to or not. I'm like, we're doing it. This is, oh. this is what we're doing. Oh, and, uh, so, yeah. so you, and you, was, you were the right. deciding factor. Uh, for I your mean, dad. There, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of factors. I, I will say, yes, I, I think for him, Aww. I was definitely the, the deciding factor. Um, obviously there's the big boss who's my mom who really had <laughs> to, right. you know, give her stamp of approval. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and she, she saw it differently because mm-hmm. we had had that Mexican restaurant Petra, like I said, yeah. and unfortunately that did not go well. That was oh. during 2008 yeah. during the recession, yeah. you know? Um, so coming off of that, cause again, this is, that was 2008. This is 2016. So only about eight years of separation mm. between those two restaurants. Yeah. And, um, you know, my mom's going, Hey, remember what happened last sure. time? You know, it oh, yeah. didn't end up so well, you know, yep. not to say that it couldn't happen well this time, but, right. um, you know, the last time we, we, we did a go at this, you know, it didn't have the success that cozy mills had when I was born. Mm. Um, and you know, it was, it was very real. I, I remember having to, uh, quit sports to go mm. uh, work and kind of uh, uh, my attempt at alleviating my uh, financial burden on my parents yeah. because at the time, you know, my dad had put a lot of uh, pretty much all of his savings into this sure. restaurant. And, yeah. um, you know, now it's, it's uh, you know, no longer a part of, mm. of our lives and he has to find another job. And, you know, thankfully yeah. he's very blessed and very talented. And he was able to quickly, but, right. but that's you a know, lot we, of, she that's was just a lot like, on a family. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of, uh, a transition, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, she was just like, Hey, you know, we have to, we have to be cognizant and aware of, um, what the, what all the scenarios are, you know? And obviously mm-hmm. I, I'm the oldest, but there's two younger sisters that I have that would obviously equally be affected by yep. a decision like this as well. Um, yep. and you know, after a lot of praying and, and due diligence, we just were like, we're going to go for it. You know, we're going to, mm. this is, this is what God's calling us to. This is our mission field. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, where, who we are called to be and what we're called to do. And, hmm. um, you know, everybody has their flock and this is, this is what we feel this is, is ours. Yours, so, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we just felt like, Hey, if, if we are responsible and, and, um, you know, at least go when God, when God calls, um, listen yeah. at the end of the day success or failure in the world's eyes, it won't matter because at least we, we uh, answered the call. That's um, so and so good. that's kind of how Beto and Son started. That is so good. I mean, it's so applicable to almost anything in life, right? Like we Absolutely. can we can have a burn or we can have a, you know, what would seem quote unquote like a failure when the whole time, sometimes it's just preparation. <laughs> Right, absolutely. you know, in God's hands, it's always preparation, I guess. But a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, I, I always feel like one of the most beautiful things in life is when God's timing and and, and your preparation kind of align. One hundred, you know, yes. When He calls and and that beautiful moment of those two things colliding, that's you know, a lot of times when breakthroughs happen. It's so so true. So you and your dad, you've always been close, obviously. Yes. Um so coming to work, but had you ever worked with him in like on a professional level like post culinary school up up until um, Meadows? Yes and no. So okay. so when he was with Chili's as a corporate chef and I was working as a food scientist, I uh, I would a lot of times do presentations for him. So we weren't necessarily working together. Gotcha, but you were um, in the same, you're running the same circles. Correct, exactly, exactly. 
that is, I, I love your dad and your relationship being like at the core of the whole story. It's yes. so sweet to me, yes. especially because I have boys, you know, and it's, oh, 100%. and it's just like, oh my goodness, to, to have that kind of relationship with your father and want to follow his lead and want to start a restaurant with him. And I mean, this is totally off the food. I always go off topic, but what do you, what do you think your dad did that made you so much, like even you were talking about in your earliest days, like just want to be around him? Like for the fathers out there, because this yeah, is unfortunately you know, not a story I hear a lot. Yeah, no, it it actually it's a couple things, mm-hmm. um, and I, this is what I think I'll start with is that my dad grew up without a father. Um, oh, so okay. when yeah. he had me, he had this big uh, kind of burning desire in his heart to be the father that he never had. Wow. Um, and so when he grew up in in Mexico. Uh, you know, he grew up with his grandparents um, because his mom was a single mom. Mm. Uh, he was the youngest of three uh, three kids. He had two, an, an older brother and an older sister. And uh, his mom was convinced that uh, they needed a better life outside of Mexico in mm-hmm. the States. So she made the very hard decision wow. to leave her kids with her, her parents, my dad's wow. grandparents, and basically, you know, kind of create a life for them in the States. Mm. So from the time he was two to 12, um, he was living with his grandparents, mm. not knowing who his mom or, or dad was. His mm. dad had left before he was born okay. um, and was really only in his older sibling's life. Mm. Um, but he, you know, very much grew up, grew up without that father figure, yeah. seeing all of his cousins grow up with fathers and yeah. knowing that he was not the same as mm. those individuals. And so when I was born, he had that big, you know, burning desire in his heart to to be a father because mm. he knew what it felt like to not have one and to see individuals and, in, you know, both family and friends that yeah. had fathers. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, was the one of the things that really attributed to it mm. because he was always trying to be involved in my life. He mm. um, would constantly, uh, you know, be interested in the things that I was interested in. So if I wanted to play sports, then he was going to be the coach of the, of the basketball mm, team or, yeah. or soccer team. Yeah. If I was interested in uh, music, you know, then he was going to find some, you know, way to be involved as, as well. He was always, oh, you know, just trying to be my biggest supporter in oh. any, any way, shape or form. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, when it came to, like I said, cooking, it was just something that I knew he did. And, and to me, uh, you know, chefs were superheroes. And so, oh. you know, naturally my dad was then a superhero. <laughs> right. And, um, and so it was, it was the combination of, of both him understanding that he had a job to do outside of just being a family provider. You yeah. know, he had a, there was a, a father, right. um, you know, title that he had to, um, you know, embrace and he did very, very, very well. Hmm. Um, but I think the other thing too, is just that, um, growing up, uh, Growing up and and you know thankfully having a a, a household that um, was very t- tightly knit you know I was homeschooled my my mom was my my teacher if you will and Your mom's so cool. um, my dad was my mentor you yeah. know and it was just that was always kind of the understanding that mm. um, you know these are the two closest people in your life and uh, you know there's the the verse that and I this is the other thing too is. Scripture is so key to to all of this, right? It, mm. It's kind of the foundation that ties it all together. Because when you when you think about 
um, you know, the way that scripture talks about mothers and, and fathers, uh, you know, if, if, if we read it and take that seriously, mm-hmm. then we realize the value that they have, not just in our lives in the moment, but our, our futures. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when, when the, the, the scripture specifically that, you know, talks about honoring your father and yeah. mother and, you know, you'll live a, a long and blessed life. You know, yeah. I, I just, I was always taught to take promises like that seriously. Like mm. that's not just in there to sound nice or because, right. you know, it, it has a nice ring to it. Right. Like or a, there are an empty platitude. Like yes, yeah. Like you really took it seriously. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and thankfully I, I feel like as the years go by and I look back, I'm like, man, you know, I'm definitely reaping the benefits of, of what that promise, uh, that the Lord, you know, uh, yeah. very much gave, uh, gave us, um, you know, just, just because it took it seriously. So anyways, I guess long winded answer to say that, you know, that. he was, he was a great father that, you know, took it seriously and, and realized that it, it wasn't just something that, um, you wake up in the morning and just go about your day, but you actually have to be very intentional yes. about what being a father is. And he yeah. was a very intentional father. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, owe him the world, obviously. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Oh, that's so, so good. So good. Um, so when Beto and Son starts, what, who, let's get to some of the fun practicals now too. Like, how do you set a menu? Like who came up with those tacos? Who came, you know what I mean? Like who, like, who, how do you do that? Did, was that you and your dad? Was that a team? I want the yeah, back. It, I want the backstage combi- of restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a combination, and and our it was very collaboratory. Um, a lot of my mindset was, you know, my my father's from Mexico, and a lot of his recipes come straight from Mexico. So there's nothing more, you know. Uh, what's the word organic or, uh, authentic, yes. you know, than an individual who, who lived the life, right. Totally. Um, he was living the farm to table lifestyle before that was a trend in the United States. <laughs> before you it was know, cool. he was, he was, yes, yeah, he, yeah, was yeah. he was living on a farm and, and every day they'd come to the table with the ingredients that they grew from that farm. You know, they were living off the land oh, and, my goodness. um, like I said, I, I knew that he had that background that I did not have, you know, yeah. growing up in McKinney, that was absolutely not right. the lifestyle. Right. right. Um, so I, I knew I was like, listen, when it comes to the authenticity of the sauces and the, mm-hmm. and the way we uh, cook some of the the proteins and that kind of thing, I was like, that's, that is a hundred percent all you. Yeah. The, the okay. one thing yeah. that I, yeah, the one major thing that I can say that I contributed was understanding that we are in a millennial world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is millennial driven as far as they are the ones with the dollars that are, are spending it right now. Yep. Um, and we are in a social media world. And yep. so the food while being nest- well, needing to be authentic and, and organic um, from the standpoint of, of, of the cuisine, um, it also needed to be Insta-worthy. It needed to be mm. colorful. It needed to be fresh and yes. vibrant. Yes. Um, and so that is kind of where I said, listen, I need you to make this, this, and this. But it, for our enchiladas, for example, we, we don't roll any of our enchiladas. We stack them all. What does that um, mean? And that what does was, that mean? Uh, so, roll yeah, versus so, stack. Our, yeah. So generally when you go to a Mexican restaurant, you get the little round kind of rolled enchilada. So they take the corn tortilla, they stuff it, they roll it, and it becomes that long kind of yeah, cylinder-shaped yeah. uh, enchilada. We don't roll ours. What we do is we put a tortilla down, like a, we lay it flat, uh-huh. and then we put uh, cheese and meat and sauce, and then we put another one on oh. top of that. Uh-huh. like you would a quesadilla right, and we right. stack it up three layers high. 
and oh, yeah, uh, we we this, never yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we 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 never uh, we never roll it we stack them all and uh, what it does is it gives us a better canvas so uh, then we have more uh, surface area to garnish with stuff like watermelon radish and uh-huh. avocados and pickled onions and and just different okay. items that uh, create more of an Instagrammable uh, piece to something that is. Um, you know, uh, something very comfort food. It's, you know, and nobody would say an enchilada is this culinary masterpiece no, from the standpoint of no. the gastronomy that goes into it, yeah, right? you can get it at a drive-thru. Um, but right, your right, enchiladas exactly. are like, yeah. <laughs> but, but that was the, a work uh, that, of art. That's 100%. <laughs> right, so that, that you was 100% brought that. The, yes, it was, you know, we, we need to like take everything that we've, yeah. we've grown up with and how do we reimagine it for the millennial eye that when they come here, they go, wow. I know what an enchilada is and they order it and they go, Oh, I've never seen one like this before. Oh. Like, this is unique. This is different. You know, yes. um, the liquid nitrogen margarita is another. Okay. I was going to ask you about this. Okay. We okay. got to stop. Yeah. We got it. We got to pull the car over. You have to like explain this phenomenon. The first time we walked in, like years ago, there was just smoke everywhere, all over the restaurant. Yep. We had no idea what was going on. Explain the genesis of the night. What is it? Nitro. Yeah, the liquid nitrogen. The margarita. liquid nitrogen margarita. Okay, yes. Tell this story. <laughs> yeah. So this is it's a combination of again going to what we were talking about about being millennial driven as far as the way that the the, the experience is. Yeah. Um, and and taking items that are familiar, mm-hmm. um, but reimagining you know the experience of that yes. familiar you know food or drink. Um, but then it also goes back to my food science background as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, understand m- understanding molecular gastronomy and how uh, it, it it pertains to restaurants and experiences mm-hmm. that you know one can have in a restaurant. My dad always taught me. He had a saying. He said, um, you know, the 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 his favorite thing to do was take. Uh, very peasant-like things and elevate them or take mm. things that people experience in fine dining, you know, Michelin star restaurants right. that the 1% enjoys and then bringing them down to the masses in a oh, way that anyone can that. enjoy. Um, and so taking that same mindset, it was so like, beautiful. hey, you know, yeah. I, yeah, I, I worked at a, at a place where we um, made liquid nitrogen ice cream tableside. And I thought, oh. man, this is so cool. What else can I do with this? And I, I just kind of played around and I, I found I could freeze alcohol within the ice cream that I was, I was doing. And so I was like, man, you know, what I need to do is, is when we got the opportunity to do a Mexican restaurant, I was like, I wonder if I can freeze, uh, you know, tequila and make a margarita, um, doing it. And the, the science behind it is, is that whenever you make a, a margarita, right. If Mm -hmm. you're making it in a blender, you have to add ice, or if you make it in a frozen machine, you have to add water. Mm. At some point, there's gotta be some kind of dilution between the ice or the water that actually does the freezing because the alcohol doesn't freeze unless it's negative 115 degrees. Which oh, wow. no no cooler or freezer is going to Can freeze do. that low. Right. Right. The unique thing about liquid nitrogen is it's negative three hundred degrees. Oh so gosh. it is actually twice as cold as it needs to be to freeze alcohol. So you could literally freeze alcohol into an ice cube with liquid nitrogen. Um, and that's the fun part because then when you take the ice or the water out of it and you just add the, the lime juice, the agave, the orange, the corn, the tequila, the four ingredients to make a margarita, you now have something that is more pure, huh. uh, more refined. Um, and uh, as it melts, when one of the things people hate about frozen margaritas, when it melts, the water is what melts and it, it waters it down. Uh, well, with ours, because there's no water. Water down. It's not watered down. If it melts, the flavor stays the same throughout the entire experience. So now it's not just a showpiece, which it is. I mean, it's obviously a great showpiece. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've we've enhanced, you know, the frozen margarita that people are are accustomed to. 
um, in, in that way. And so that was kind of where the idea stemmed from okay. was just how do we create this showstopper that right. everybody has a margarita, but how do we do something that's unique right. to us? Did you patent this? Unfortunately, you know, oh. so I wish you could patent food, oh, but unfortunately kind of like – yeah, Shoot. like guacamole, right? Like it's oh. like no one can own the guacamole, <laughs> guacamole. recipe, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, or, you know, or even, you know, like a margarita. Unfortunately, you can't own, you know, like the, the margarita. Right. Um, but, you know, you, you can trademark names. The, the problem is that our name is is too generic and that it's liquid nitrogen and then margarita. Like those are two things that are not necessarily not trademarkable specific enough. Okay, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not like uh, like Mikosina has the Mambo Taxi. Well, what oh, was okay. like, nobody knew what a Mambo Taxi right. was until <laughs> they created it, right? Okay. Unfortunately, like liquid nitrogen, people know what that is. A margarita, people know right. what that is. So okay. we're taking two things, putting them together, and they're like, yeah, those are two descriptors. Those are not two like name things that um, you know you can own and, and trademark okay. if you will. Okay. Well, it's always my boys love the smoke. They're always so shocked that it's not hot or smelly, yeah, you know. Absolutely. And so they love walking <laughs> yeah, through yeah. the restaurant and all of the mar- table side night, like whatever night, yeah. liquid, liquid nitrogen margaritas, nitrogen yeah. margaritas are going, and they're just they like just like dance around in them, and it's so 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 unique. That is so fun. Okay, um, what would you say is like your signature dish? Ooh, um, that is hard. <laughs> I say it's hard because it's like you know, which, which kid is your favorite, you know, or which which one do you yeah. do you love the most? It it's depends like, on your it depends on the day, right? Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I think I think there's a couple there's there's a couple that stand out. Um, and and it's are more, these all on the menu? You know, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, so the one that has stood out a, a lot because of Food Network is our uh, carnitas noodle bowl. So. The carnitas noodle oh, bowl I have not tried uh, was this. what? Yeah, I haven't so, gotten this so, one yet. Yeah, so so noodle bowls. It's funny because growing up, my dad ate this dish called fideo, which is basically it's actually it comes from the Spanish. Uh-huh. So obviously, you know, Spain, you know, conquered you know Mexico, right. and they owned Mexico for a while. They bring their food and their artistry and all that kind of right, stuff. Right. And then they sell uh, Mexico to the French. The French bring their food and their culture, and then eventually, obviously, Mexico gains its independence. Um, but in in the process of that, there's so many different European kind of cuisines that have been left in Mexico that oh. have their own kind of uh, Hispanic, you know, and, and Mexican origin. Oh, cool. Fideo being one of them. Oh. So Fideo is a pasta that is toasted, um, either fried in a pan or toasted in the oven, oh. um, and then cooked in a chicken broth. Oh, wow. And so my dad grew up eating this because it was a very cheap kind of uh-huh. easy uh, starchy meal growing up yeah. where his great his grandmother would basically fry up some noodles in a pan they would take some chickens and uh, and some veggies. It, they would throw it all in. It was kind of a, a little one pot meal with pasta, chicken, <laughs> veggies, and and broth and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, as uh, as we were thinking through these items that he grew up with, I was like, man, you know, bowls and noodles are very much a millennial thing. Oh, like, you time. know, we yeah. we put everything in bowls and mix it all up together. <laughs> right. That's what we love, right? right? So I was like, let's take authentic ingredients, authentic, you know, Mm -hmm. sauces and, 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 um, you know, uh, different uh, cooking procedures Mm -hmm. and, and make something that is unique in that no one has experienced Fideo in this way. Um, and so that's where the noodle bowl comes from and, and food network kind of saw it and we're like, Hey, we'd love for you to compete on beat Bobby Flay. 
with wow. um, this poll. Oh my gosh. And so it was a lot of fun because actually it was a it was a dream of my dad's to to be on that show. And we actually got to what? be on it together because <gasps> the the format of the show is oh. that um, two people face off against each other and the winner gets to go against Bobby Flay. So it was oh. me and my dad against each other. Oh, uh, no naturally way. He beats, he beats me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sorry, spoilers, 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 spoilers. <laughs> um, but then he goes up against Bobby Flay and I won't spoil that. I guess they'll have the, the listeners will have to watch to see what oh, happens. Oh my with Bobby goodness. And my dad. Oh, that's um, so fun. But that was the dish that he competed against, uh, Bobby oh. with. And so that one has gotten a lot of attention, um, because it's actually been one of the most run, um, kind of like episodes on beat Bobby Flay. Uh, so it runs all the time. We get all these text messages randomly. Like, I just saw you on food network. I'm like, Oh, the episode ran again. Um, so that, that's definitely, <laughs> oh, I'm, a, good. I'm so going to go find that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an iconic item. Uh, the show I want to say was called, the episode was called family matters. Okay. Um, and it was obviously on beat Bobby Flay. Oh, how um, cool. But yeah, so I'd say that noodle bowl, the, mm-hmm. the ceviche tower is a big one. Obviously, oh, table yeah. side guacamole. Yes. Um, and then, you know, Instagrammable wise, it's not a dish, but, you know, the liquid nitrogen yeah. margarita obviously is definitely kind of people always they're like, oh, you know, when they ask, like, oh, we're rushing work out. I'm like, Beto and Son, and they're like, wait, is that the place with the margarita? Yeah. I'm like, yes, oh, yeah. it's, the, it's the place with the margarita. <laughs> but I know exactly what they're talking about. It's so cool. Like even that, that noodle bowl, it's like what you were saying, your dad's philosophy is on like taking simple things, making them Michelin, taking Michelin and making them simple. Right. That's just too cool. That is amazing. Okay. So what is your, personally, your favorite dish to prepare? If you were like, like what's um, fun? Like what's super fun? Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't even have to be a Beto. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. If it doesn't, if you had one last dish dish to make on this earth, what Mm. would you have the most fun making? You know, so it's funny because you know when you when you're a chef, like you you think of all these crazy things, like you know liquid nitrogen, margarita, right, and stuff right. like that, right? Like you you think of all these crazy stuff, and so uh, what's funny is if somebody was like, "What would be the last meal you would make?" Mm-hmm. It's so simple. Um, mm. I would just make fresh pasta uh-huh. with tomato sauce and meatballs. Like, really? I don't know what it is about yes. that dish, but it's like it's three <laughs> items: it's pasta, it's meatballs, it's tomato sauce. Like, there's really not much more to that. Yeah. But sometimes it's those simple things. Like, there's the the saying that, like, you know, we as chefs, um, you know, create these recipes, but at the end of the day, God's recipes was the tomato. You know, you can't improve oh. that. Um, oh, you know, we're always, that. yeah, we're <laughs> always looking for ways to improve. You know, different recipes, but at the end of the day, you know, God's recipes were tomatoes and, and apples and grapes and mm. and you know the things that you know grow in this world or whatever. And you can't you can't improve upon those things, right? So sometimes it's taking just what the recipes that the Lord made. You know, like the tomato and keeping mm. it at its simplest, you mm. know, and taking wheat and making, uh, you know, pasta with water and olive oil. And I mean, just the simple thing. So yes. I think it's, it's kind of weird, but like, you know, in restaurants, we, we focus on how do we, you know, go crazy with these different, you know, dishes and recipes. But like, I think for me as a chef, just when it comes to what I want to enjoy, mm-hmm. it generally ends up being the most simplest things. Cause I think we spend so much time, uh, making complexity that sometimes it's nice to just have those comforty, yes. you know, homey, you know, type dishes. And for whatever reason, uh, it was just something as a kid, we, you know, growing <laughs> up, my dad, we would be in the kitchen making fresh pasta and, and meatballs and tomato sauce together. 
And um, yeah. So anyways, that I think I is, love uh, that. Is, is what it would be. You can't improve on a tomato. That is just so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, God is undefeated when it comes to recipes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yet we will try our hardest to improve upon him. And it it doesn't that the whole our entire conversation applies to all things in life, right? (laughs) We will always try and improve on God, right? (laughs) Yeah. But at the end of the day, it just always comes back to the few simple things. Oh, that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in closing, a couple things: Um, kitchen tools. Yeah. What are your go-to? Like, what is like, what's the one you would need? Like, the, if you if you only could use one tool in the kitchen, what would you use, or what would you keep? Ooh. <laughs> okay. Wow. Ooh, that that one. That's a good one. That's a really, really, really good one. Um. Uh, I think I just figured out man. mine. I love that I'm acting like I'm a cook to you right now. No, no, no. (laughs) I was thinking the other day, I was like, if I had one tool that I could have, I would take – I don't even know the official name. It's like the tongs. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because Dustin Dustin loves steak, right? And so we do a lot of like – so I'm like, I use those tongs so much. Like, (laughs) Yeah. So that's what made me think of it, like – Absolutely. When I think if, if we're talking like like unique to to uh, utensils and that kind of thing, and I would say I guess steak knife. I mean, or not steak a knife, ste- but a chef's a chef's knife. Chef's knife. Um, because okay. I, yeah, because you know it, everything requires some sort of fabrication, whether it be uh, vegetables or mm. um, you know even proteins, right? Yep. Um, so a, a good chef knife. I mean, I uh, I'll use chopsticks if I have to for tongs, you know, <laughs> like I'll right, figure right. something out like when it comes <laughs> but to you that, need but this chef a knife. sharp, a sharp, yeah, a sharp oh, knife okay. is, is one of, I think, uh, as a chef kind of for me, one of the most important things it's like, uh, or in, not only one of the most important, I think one, sometimes one of the most undervalued just because, yeah, you know, it's, there's knives everywhere, but a sharp knife, uh, it's, it's definitely important. So I think, yeah, I, I, I hope that isn't too much of a cop out. No, no, I knife. love it. I love it. Do you like spend like serious money on your knives? I do. Yeah. I do, I do this with um, my Bibles. Yeah. I do that with my Bibles. <laughs> yeah. And like, I've spent more yeah. on my, my current Bible. I've spent more on than any clothing item I have ever bought. <laughs> Okay. Wow. It's the same wow, with chefs intense. now, right? Like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. No, I mean, uh, we spend more on chef knives than we do on on our, our uniforms, our chef yeah. coats that we wear, or our chef shoes, <laughs> or any of those any of those items. I mean, it's uh, and uh, yeah, I, we if, if it was up to us, we'd we'd have a knife for every different vegetable in the in the refrigerator. <laughs> really? Oh. <you know? laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too fun. Okay, a couple things in closing. Chefs you admire? Who who do you did you other than your dad? Like, what did you grow up or currently? Is there anybody that you're like, oh, they're on it? Yeah, you know, I, I've got a couple uh, great like chef mentors that I, I admire and that I've really you know tried to emulate throughout the years. One of them uh, is is Dean Faring, another Dallas chef. Okay. Um, I worked for him when I was at the Ritz Carlton at, at his restaurant Faring's, and one of the things that I loved about him is, I mean, he he is arguably Dallas's biggest celebrity chef in that wow. he's written so many cookbooks, he's been on so many different shows, and had his own shows on TV and. He, um, you know, is just one of the most genuinely nice, kind, and Aww. and humble individuals. I remember just being an intern in his kitchen, and you know, he would ask me like, "Hey, you know," he'd call me Big J. Oh, uh, you know, he he always had a nickname for everybody, and he's like, "Hey, Big J, you know, what would you what would you do with this? What would you do with that?" And it's like 
to have a celebrity chef ask an intern, you know, oh. who's just getting started in the kitchen, you know, what they think about his recipes. Right. It, it was just always something that uh, really spoke volumes to me mm. in, in that, you know, never, never feel like you're too big to ask, you know, one of your, one yes. of your crew, you know, what they think or how they would improve upon something that you've created. So, um, and just also having, you know, that security in yourself that, you have no problem asking anyone, you know, how yes. they can improve upon who you are and, and what you've done. And so I would say Dean Faring is a, is a Great. big kind of mentor, um, to me just in the way he, uh, not even, not even just what he said, but just the way he, he handles and, and, and operates, um, highly, highly can't speak, uh, can't speak highly enough about, about him as a chef. Um, I love that. That's and, great. Yeah, I think that's that's number one. I mean, I should I could go on and on about different chefs that have obviously impacted me, but I don't know that we have right, another right. hour just that's to discuss good. Yeah. that. So, anyways, that's that's my number one right there. We'll we'll stop. That's with that amazing. One. What, what what's one of his restaurants in Dallas? Uh, so Farings is, is kind of self titled restaurant. It's called Farings. Is that downtown? Um, it's at, that's not the one yeah, underneath it's, it's, ground, is it? No, that one's Dakota's. That's Dakota's uh, so Farings okay. is. At the Ritz Carlton, um, oh. off maybe, kind of like on the corner of McKinney okay. and Olive, I believe. Yep, yep. Okay. Oh, fun. Right okay, by, I'm gonna put that one on the, the list. From that, uh, yeah, it's across the street from the the two story Del Frisco's. Okay. Uh, yes. Grill. Yes. Yeah, yep. we love Del Frisco's too. Okay, that is so fun. Okay, well, Chef Julian, thank you. This has been too good. This has just been. Oh, thank you. I have loved chatting. I love. I love talking to people, first of all, the backstage glimpse I love, and then I love talking to people who are just passionate about what they do. And I always talk about, I don't know, you might be too young to remember, do you remember the Crocodile Hunter? Oh, I love the Crocodile okay. Hunter. No way. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Yes. So back, yes. I don't like animals. I don't care about zoos. I definitely don't care about crocodiles, right? But I always use this as the example of like what pa- how passion transfers, right? Yes, and 100%. he loved these crocodiles, right? And the zoo and yes. the animals and he would get and he was just so passionate. I started being like, maybe I do like crocodiles. Maybe I would like to have a crocodile. Right. Maybe, right? Right. <laughs> because right. passion right. is caught. And so so I'm just so grateful for you, like coming on and doing this. I love the story about you and your dad, and I just think it speaks to so many things, like passion, years of hard work, putting in the time, God's blessing on top of it, and generations working together. And Absolutely. I don't think without your dad, you would probably be in the position you are, and he wouldn't be in the position he is without you. And that is just such a beautiful picture that we don't see a lot these days. Agreed. And no, so, I, I 100% thank agree. you for emulating it, and thank you for coming on here. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, you know, really appreciate you uh, giving me a platform to share my story. Oh, my so goodness. It really, uh, really means the world. We'll be at Beto right after the next Dream Center event, for sure. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great. Look forward to having you. I'll see you there. Thank you.